In just a moment, it'll be news with my dad. Dorian qualifies as a major hurricane now that it's a Category 3 storm again. We'll speak with Michael Germanfellow at Brennan Center for Justice, who infiltrated white supremacist groups in the 90s, an expert on domestic terrorism. We'll talk Brexit. We'll talk local news. And as always, you can text us at 971-220-5979. It's 971-220-5979. We're also going to be talking about Walmart and guns. Tell us your name. Otherwise, we might make one up. You can also tweet us at X-Ray FM. You can use the hashtag News with My Dad. Also, X-Ray in the Morning News with My Dad episodes can be found on your favorite podcast apps. What's your favorite? I don't know what your favorite is, but you could download the X-Ray app. You could also go to xraypod.com. Or, you know, you could use iTunes, which you've already heard of. Let's start with News with My Dad. And now it's time for News with My Dad. A show we talk with the news with my dad. And in the studio live, playing the role of my dad, is in fact my dad, the star of our show, Joe Smith. Pop, how you doing? I have so much to talk about this morning, we better get at it. This is a show we talk about the news, we try to talk about the important stuff. Sometimes we talk about the unimportant stuff. When it's unimportant, we try to say so, we take turns. Dad typically takes the first turn. Pop, do you have a shout out? As a matter of fact, I have... Three shout out. Shout out inflation <laughs> here on News of My Dad. I should say, first, I want a shout out for CNN. I just want a shout out for CNN for really responsible media for devoting hours, not minutes, but hours, to allow the Democratic candidates for president to talk about climate change and to allow them to talk without putting arbitrary time limits on their answers so they could talk about it in depth. And it's just a really fine thing, and we'll, we can talk about what they talk about later, but I want to shout out for them. I want to shout out for Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who dissed Ted Cruz, told Ted Cruz to shut his mouth talking about Chicago because he was citing Chicago as a place that, that gun limitation doesn't work. She pointed out that the guns in Chicago that are killing people are brought in from Indi mostly Indiana where they don't have any restrictive laws. And last, I want to shout out for Chanel Miller, who for the last year, four years, was known as Emily Doe, the victim in a notorious rape case in, by a Stanford student who has come out with her book, Know My Name, which will hit the streets on the 24th of this month, had the courage to speak out, good for her. Roughly 95,000, let's call it 94,955. It, it says here roughly 94,955. That, that sounds like a very specific number to me, <laughs> very specific number. But roughly 94,955 customers without power in Georgia, North Carolina, and South Carolina. Not in Alabama, by the way. Alabama, not one of the states. Sharpie notwithstanding. Alabama, not one of the states. It's a 6.30 m this morning. Georgia, North Carolina, and South Carolina. Uh, down from about 220,000 about an hour ago. Rain from Dorian was affecting the coast from Georgia to southern North Carolina. There's a storm-packed winds of 115 miles an hour. About 100 miles south southeast of Charleston. 
Doran qualifies as a major hurricane now that it's a Category 3 storm again. It's a Category 3 hurricane, not storm. It's a Category 3 hurricane. That's very important. Okay. Dorian ties 1935 uh, hurricane. It's a record as the strongest Atlantic hurricane. Nearly 500 National Guard soldiers have been activated for Hurricane Dorian, according to North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper. The state has 50 shelters open, 1,000 people already using them. At least 20 people have died in the Bahamas. The death toll is expected to increase there. It became a hurricane on August 28th, scraping past Puerto Rico before strengthening to a Category 5 on landfall in the Bahamas. So, Dad, what's the difference between a storm and a hurricane? You Category about, 5 storm about, versus about, a Category 3 hurricane? About 50 knots. I think in the categories, so wait, wait, no, no, no. I thought that's the category difference, not the storm versus hurricane difference. Is there a difference between a Category 5 hurricane and a Category 5 storm? Is one a mistake of language? Or it's a mistake of language. A mistake of language. When, when you have storm, gale, hurricane, and then hurricane is one, two, three, four, and five. Hopefully we'll never get a six. Fives are rare. Threes are still very, very, very serious events. And while we're talking about Dorian, uh, I I do need to mention that DDT scrubbed Poland because he said he was going to monitor Poland, monitor Dorian, came back and played golf. And then he made the gaffe on uh, Alabama. And then it's, it's just really clear that he phonied. He, he drew an extra circle on a map, or on a forecast map, showing that it might affect Alabama. And he took a... August 28th map and drew all kinds of lines again to try to cover his gaffe. This guy's ability to lie has absolutely no bounds. I would point out that Dorian is actually an international story. The Bahamas, although they are a great place for American tourists, the Bahamas are not part of the United States. They are an international company, country. And I you can have say a company, bunch of although it makes country, me nervous. And I have a bunch of international stuff that I want to mention. That's your segue? That's my segue. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, we need to talk about Brexit and Boris Johnson. Yeah, what do we learn? What do we learn, Well, we, lear we learned that he doesn't have control of his caucus, and that is just such a mess. His, uh, the, the overseer of his transition... Yeah, because to the extent the conservatives have been, except the Tories, same thing, have been the uh, torch carriers for large financial interests in Britain, that means the conservatives have also been the torch carriers very often for banking interests and international financial interests, which are opposed to Brexit or in favor of international trade. And that means, and that's why that there was the Cameron versus uh, versus Boris Johnson dust up, and now there looks like there will be some purge. There, there's, uh, we're in the process of looking at some purge in the Conservative and the Tory Party. And sooner or later, they're going to have to have an election, and that will be really interesting to see what happens there. Uh, Boris Johnson's overseer of No Deal planning, Michael Gore, has suggested that. Even if Parliament passes a law, the government might simply ignore that law. We could be watching the death of democracy in Great Britain, but I, I hope not. 
other international. Well, no, let me say something about that. The House of Commons voted 327 to 299 on Wednesday to pass a bill forcing Boris Johnson to seek a Brexit extension. It intends to block the Prime Minister from the no deal Brexit on October 31st, which would pull the country out of the European Union on October 31st without a divorce agreement. Johnson's defeat came less than a day after expelling 21, is it really 21, uh, rebel lawmakers That's from his Conservative Party. Uh, and hours later, Parliament rejected Johnson's proposal to hold a general election on October 15th. Uh, he hoped the general election could give him a fresh majority to resolve the Brexit impasse. And the, and the tool, if he was going to have a snap election, he would have the power to remove the Conservative Party moniker for, uh, and, and there, thereby eliminate from the ballot the folks who had bounced from his coalition, ending their term in Parliament, and maybe getting them replaced with people who were pro-Brexiteers. Johnson's decision to suspend Parliament from next week until October 14th has forced lawmakers to work fast to lock the Prime Minister into a position where a no-deal Brexit is impossible. And uh, to cite, not exactly quote, but to cite a friend of mine who served in the Oregon legislature, who's been a student of international politics and, and history for a long time, he says, the end game here on Brexit will be history that is read 500 years from now, that the, the, the tactics of the tools, the machinations, that we are, we are now on our third prime minister since the Brexit discussion began. It is, seems likely to me there will be a fourth prime minister before too very long, and that, of course, is one of the questions. Uh, Dad, are you hazarding any predictions? Your, you, you are both prediction and your advocacy for, the I don't know, over a year has been that they will have another Brexit re referendum. There will be another vote to the people with a different set of buses, with a different set, hopefully of fewer lies on the, printed on the buses, that will give the chance for the, for the British people to say either, heck yes, we mean it, or we say, well, actually, we don't really mean it. Now that we understand what it means, actually, and now that maybe the bands and the buses don't have the same lies on them, uh, do you, are you sticking with the same prediction, or are you going to change my, the prediction? My, my advocacy continues. I will confess that my prediction has uh, ebbed a little bit more to a hope. Uh, by the way, a storm's maximum sustained winds reach 74 miles an hour. At that point, it is called a, or when a storm's maximum sustained winds reach 74 miles an hour, it's called a hurricane. A storm sustains winds of 29 to 73. When it's over 74, it's a hurricane. That's why so I there, told you it was about 50 knots. This is why we have intrepid researchers that, that, chain, that check our facts. So when I was saying it was a Category 5 storm, only, that is unscientific, inaccurate language. It only to the degree that storm could be viewed as an umbrella term that covers all things, including hurricanes and typhoons, could we could that be deemed as good language? Otherwise, I apologize for my misspeaking. We've corrected the record, Dad. But back to back to your uh, prediction. You you think you think now that you are less. You think it's less likely there'll be a new referendum. Uh, less likely, but I continue to hope. And it seems to me that that's what they really need. And it needs to be an intelligent referendum, which allows people to say, yeah, let let's let's just stick with it, or to approve the deal that Theresa May struck with the EU. Well, Dad, 
we're, we're going to cover Brexit every time we talk, I think, until because it's really this is it's it, a major it's a major event. It's, it's a major it it's a major thing for Europe, major thing for the global economy, and it is it does it it so so many it demonstrates so many of the dynamics that are happening in American and in global politics, including the realignment on what conservative means, understanding that uh, that really since Nixon. Uh, conservative ha- has meant, started to mean a different thing, which has been essentially what the Southerners wanted, essentially a more closed society, essentially one that is built more about uh, racial and national identity, and particularly as those things are linked. Uh, and that, that that the Mercer's link between supporting the Brexiteers and supporting Trump, that what we're seeing with authoritarian leaders around the world, all these dots uh, connect some of them very practically in terms of funding, in terms of relationships. Uh, they connect in terms of ideology and power strategy, recognizing if you can create a linkage between great wealth and people also who are afraid of those different than them, then you might be able to muster enough governmental power, enough people power to run a country. Maybe not a majority, but maybe enough of a plurality that if you can hold on to other levers of power, including media power, including power of the purse, more informally, including the ability to change, if you can take hold of some of the levers of government, you can change voting rules and make them uh, less accessible. And that dynamic we're seeing around the world, certainly seeing here and seeing in Brexit, it also is, as we have enjoyed, and that enjoyment is not spread to everyone in the country, but particularly the top 20%, top 5%, top 1% of income earners in the United States have enjoyed what is now the longest run of economic growth, starting with the Obama administration, in American history. That is the... And I keep looking for what is going to be the needle that pops the inflated balloon of asset values. And to me, Brexit is on my short list. What's next, Bob? You want to talk Hong Kong? I got other international stuff I want to mention. I I said the words Hong Kong, so I'll just say it. Hong Kong's leader has finally withdrawn the extradition bill. Go ahead and talk about it. Gary Lamb has withdrawn the extradition bill. Question is, will that be too little too late? to placate the folks who are protesting because the demands from the protesters have expanded well beyond that particular bill. They want democracy, which China is never going to allow. What I want to say, though, about the Hong Kong protesters is United States protesters who get real fired up about doing a big, big day, right? A big, big march for our lives or a big, big women's march we have a thing to learn from the Hong Kong protesters who keep at it. And they don't keep at it like in the handfuls. They keep at it in the bucketfuls. They keep at it in the wheelbarrowfuls. Barrelfuls is right. And and so, yeah, uh, Carrie Lam, the Hong Kong leader, has withdrawn the controversial extradition bill. It would have allowed the extradition of people from Hong Kong to mainland China. It sparked fears for many that Hong Kong was losing its autonomy and falling under Chinese authority. Uh, Carrie Lam has not given in to some of the other demands, including, as you said, Pop, greater democracy for the city and an independent commission into police conduct. She said that all investigations will be carried out by the existing independent police complaints council. There is doubt as to whether withdrawal of the bill will stem protests, as you said, uh, but I still think there is a lesson to learn 
from these. If, if, if we had sustained protests like this in the United States on gun murders every single weekend, you would see more companies like Walmart. And this may be a clumsy segue, but you'd see more companies like Walmart do what they're doing, which is relatively modest, but nonetheless, uh, that they are going to add to their legislative priorities uh, uh, at least a consideration of uh, eliminating um, eliminating AR-15s and assault weapons, re- replacing that ban that used to be in place that was allowed to lapse. Uh, they have stopped, already stopped selling AR-15s. They are now also stopping to sell the, they're ceasing the sell, selling of uh, the ammunition for guns like that. Uh, but it was interesting, and shout out to the New York Times, uh, who talked about this uh, this dynamic when there was a uh, when there started to be coordination, when there started to be communication among the financial industry to track suspicious activity and gun buying behavior. So, because you could look at it. you could look at credit card records, you could look at deposits, you could look at uh, purchases at stores to see if somebody went to one place and bought an AR-15, went to another place to buy some bullets, went to another place to buy uh, uh, you know body armor, and look and you could start flagging that suspicious activity. And one of the Trump appointed one of the Republican SEC commissioners. I don't know if you saw this story. One of the one of the Trump appointed, excuse me, at least Republican. I think Trump appointed, maybe a holdover. I'm pretty sure a Trump appointed SEC commissioner. Um, said in a meeting that was supposed to be about banking regulations, said to the financial institutions uh, who were there, including Goldman Sachs, who was about to release a policy saying they weren't going to be investing in and they were not going to be supporting the gun industry any longer, said, we're not going to help you, we, the Trump administration, we, the Securities Exchange Commission, we, the federal government, is not going to help you because of what you're doing on guns. And that made everybody put their pens down. That made the... uh, that made Goldman Sachs and others say, I guess we shouldn't be you know, doing this anymore. And it took another, another set of gun murders at Walmart for Walmart to do something. But if you had, if you had sustained protests on this stuff, I think you'd see, and, and, and I don't mean to diminish the amazing advocacy work that's being done, uh, but I, I, anyway, shout out to the folks in Hong Kong. What's next, Pop? More international. FARC may be re Careful, we're on the radio, Dad. FARC may be re-arising in Colombia. FARC is, is the, is the re- rebels that waged civil war in Colombia. Thousands and thousands of people killed. And one of the commanders has said, we're going back to the hills and we're going to start killing people again. That's very, very scary. The UN has come out with a report that suggests that the United States is complicit in committing war crimes in Yemen, which is a very distressing thing. And then kind of a segue from international to national, our vice president went to meetings in Ireland, which makes it an international story. And the meetings were on the east coast of Ireland. But he decided he would stay on the west coast of Ireland, 185 miles away, a two-hour helicopter trip. Why? Well, he said it was because it was a smaller facility and easier for security purposes. But there does seem to see a correlation between him and who I'm sad to say is his boss, although as a constitutional officer it shouldn't be his boss, because it just happens to be a DDT-owned hotel. 
Can you believe those people? They are just unreal. And where, where are the cries of rage from the folks on the far right who biovated, blovated, cremained whenever Obama took any kind of a vacation? And here DDT has spent over $106 million of taxpayer money well, that's, play an, golf. That, that's an easy reminder, and it's almost oh. it's such an it's such an obvious reminder. It's become banal, uh, but it shouldn't become banal. It should still remain newsworthy. That what we've learned with all the decries of budget deficits and national debt, with all the decries of vacations, all the decries of uh, use of executive power, which is my transition to the next one, which is the. Uh, expenditure, uh, which is Donald Trump shifting $3.6 billion of that congressional approval towards the border wall. Oh, yeah. And that with, with all of, the, with all of the, the cries of tyranny when Barack Obama was president over any executive order, we have to understand it is all of the, none of those was a, was a principle. None of those was a, none of those were, a, it was a, uh, an announcement of values and anywhere close to the raison d'etre of the movement that was announcing them. All they were were rhetorical devices. That the raison d'etre of the people who were announcing them was merely to attack a black president, to, to attack a democratic president, to attack a president who was in coalition with any progressives. And the uh, tools that they had were words and were stories. Those words and stories were not linked to core principles of the movement that was evincing them, that was announcing them. The movement that was announcing them was, in fact, motivated by power and by trying to discredit that president, to try to discredit its political enemies. And that, I think, is, to me, one of the most important lessons. And again, reminds us, my the SEC thing I was saying reminds us, like, Donald Trump didn't tell the SEC commissioner to say that, or if he did, somebody told Donald Trump to tell the SEC commissioner to say that. The, uh, that, that the mechanism that is uh, propping up gun violence, the mechanism that is propping up uh, slashing environmental protections at the same time as we are seeing hurricanes and fires, at the same time we're seeing one of the biggest fires we've ever seen and one of the biggest hurricanes we've ever seen at the same time we are lack the, the we the federal government the Trump administration is gutting protections on methane etc. That that is not done that is not because of Donald Trump merely it is and he is not the head of that snake he didn't invent that stuff. We have to understand that entire mechanism. But Dad, there are actually actually he is the rear end of the snake. Uh, the Pentagon plan. Yeah, I, I typically say he's the rattler. Uh, Pentagon plans of the. I was thinking of another part of his, another part of the snake's. Yeah, anatomy. you're a little, you're a little <laughs> different. Uh, the Pentagon plans to divert funds for military construction projects in nearly half of the 50 states, three territories, and 19 countries to divert money to the border wall. 127 projects are going to lose some funding, including 400 million dollars in recovery projects for Puerto Rico to help. Uh, in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria. And which I have to assume were actually line items in budgets that were approved by Congress. And can you imagine what Sean Hannity would have said had Barack Obama 
take a money that was specifically appropriated for a specific purpose and said, without any congressional approval, we're not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to move it to a project that the Congress not only did not allocate funds for, but specifically said no to. And, Holy and, cow. And, and, and let's be clear, as we've learned, and we, we've learned the same thing with Mitch McConnell and his processing of judges, etc., uh, that what comes out of the mouth can merely be synonymized, can merely just replace what comes out of the mouth when they say, you know, Barack Obama did blank. What they really mean, and what they really meant was, vote for us, not him. He's bad, we're good. Support our power, not his power. And ev because they were not, they were not elucidating or explaining or sticking to any principle. And that is, and I hope we at least remember that. They have to bank on short memories, but I hope at least, short memories, but I hope at least we remember that. The, do you have any, did you write down any of the other, any other projects that, uh, any other projects that aren't going to be funded, Pop? I did not, but, uh, but I do want to, I want to talk just a little bit more about the climate town hall last night. I found it very interesting that in major media stories, and particularly I'm talking about the New York Times and the Guardian, which I monitor, and sometimes Washington Post, but the stories all ended with the leading candidates. They didn't get down down the list, and I wondered about that if they thought that was because they weren't important, or I think more likely because they decided they had to start writing their stories about halfway through the evening, and so they never got down to Cory Booker. None of them mentioned Cory Booker, who I thought had one of the most significant, said one of the most significant things in the whole discussion. He was the one candidate who said, stop kidding ourselves, if we're going to reach, reach no fossil fuel, if we're going to reach zero percent emissions car carbon, we're going to have to look seriously at nuclear power. And uh, I, I have been a person who has been saying that for quite some time. So you're, you're in favor of nuclear power at this point? I, well, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of in favor. I, I just think it's going to be necessary when, when we look. The United States gets about 20% of its power from nukes. France gets 70% of its power from nukes. Germany gets a similar percentage of its power from nukes. Uh, and, and they seem to be solving the waste problem. And we're, we are, I, I think we are dealing with attitudes that are 50 years old based on 50-year-old technology, whereas the technology is, is vast. But, but in now. dealing with the waste, I mean, they, they haven't gotten rid of it. Still, well, they're the still adding are, nuclear waste. And if we do it for 100 years, we'll be adding nuclear waste every year for 100 years. Right. And, but, of course, I, I can't help but note the progress that has been made in space travel, and you have all of the, the, the private investment now in space travel, I'm not convinced that it isn't really feasible to send it all to the sun. The sun seems really far away. It would take a long time to get it to the sun. Well, it does. But, but, but once it once it's out of once it's out of orbit here, it, whether it makes it to the sun or makes it to Antares, it doesn't matter. It feels a little bit. It feels a little bit like I think ancient peoples, and not even all that ancient. Us saying we'll launch into space a little bit like they thought, well, we'll just launch it into the ocean. Hopefully, launching into space doesn't disturb something. Hopefully, it doesn't run into something else in space that causes a problem. Hopefully, it doesn't return to the Earth. But there's also this issue of once you send it up, 
like not every single rocket reaches its destination. Not every single plane lands. If we, we may on one day be reporting the launching of nuclear waste and on that same day be reporting some plane crash. We hope that we wouldn't be reporting on the same day the launching of a nuclear rocket and the crashing of a nuclear rocket within our atmosphere. But Dad, I'll say one other thing about- uh, uh, but I think that the the policy argument, and it's a legitimate policy argument that I don't want to, I don't want to foreclose. Uh, it's a legitimate part of the policy argument. The best argument I heard was, well, if we are going to invest in new energy technology, let's invest in the most optimal energy technology. Absolutely, we should. But but the fi- the hard facts, the hard figures of what really is feasible right now from wind and solar and geothermal is just a, a fairly minor percentage of what is needed. And the question, and, and that begs the question, if we unleash nuclear, will that increase or decrease the energy to produce renewable energy? You're listening to X-Ray FM, KXRY, Portland, KQAC, HD3, Portland 107.1, 91.1 FM, streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. There, there are a bunch of things that I just want, I just want to list them having to do with internet and social media that I think it's worth mentioning because as, as I know you accused me of being a Luddite. I don't have a smartphone. I, it's, not, it's, not, it's not an accusation. It is a recognition. <laughs> but some things that people might be aware of. FTC has fined Google $170 million bucks for violating children's privacy through YouTube. Facebook has left 419 million users' phone numbers unprotected unprotected over a period of years. Google has admitted that hackers have been tuning into iPhones with implants for years, enable them to monitor people's iPhones. It could be as many as a thousand, thousands a week the uh, Providence Dental Program locally has acknowledged that their data bank was breached, producing over two million hackers of, into people in the Providence Dental Program, 122,000 in Oregon. It just it just goes on and on. Jack Downey, the CEO of Twitter, was hacked. And some hackers got in and sent out some very scurrilous posts, apparently from him, because they got into him. If they get into him, they could, I assume they could get into anybody. The Department of, of Health and Sur- Security, of Health and Security. Which, which department, uh, Homeland Security? Homeland, or, Secu- uh, Homeland Security has acknowledged that their biosecurity database has been available to hackers for perhaps 10 years, 10 years. Paige Thompson in Seattle has been indicted. She's a former Amazon software engineer, has been indicted for hacking in to Capital One Bank. Folks, well, I just don't do much, I just don't do much business over the internet. We'll be back in just a moment. A couple texts in. I empathize, J.S. I think by J.S. they meant me. We're both J.S. But my, my dad thinks it would be great if we were attacked by aliens. 
another text. I hope you will discuss the potentially contentious primary for Oregon Secretary of State between Ray, Hass, and Jamie McLeod Skinner and others. Thanks. Coming up next, we will be doing the quick six, and we will be talking about local politics and local news, including the potentially contentious primary for Oregon Secretary of State between Ray, Hass, Jamie McLeod Skinner, and others. Thanks. And now it's time, before we take a deeper dive into local news, to go over some of today's stories worth keeping tabs on. And now it's time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. I'm Jefferson Smith. Nestle has announced it will shut down its Northeast Portland facility. The closure will leave 53 employees out of a job as Nestle makes company-wide changes to its delivery model. In May, Nestle rolled out plans to simplify its shipping network. Simplify in quotes. The company expects the entire site to be shut down by the end of the year. They will start eliminating jobs November 1st. Labor Day weekend marks the second anniversary of the start of the Eagle Creek Fire, which burned almost 50,000 acres of forest land in the Columbia River Gorge. About 150 miles of trail were closed as a result of the fire. Now more than 100 miles of train have been re- trail have been reopened. Lake Oswego School District was ranked the best public school district in Oregon according to NISH's 2020 Best Schools list. Lake Oswego High School was ranked the second best public high school in the state. That's behind the School of Science Technology and the Beaverton School District. South Eugene High School, number three. Lake Ridge, number four. Its teachers ranked the best in the state. West Lynn came in fifth. Oregon Health Authority is investigating the first death potentially linked to vaping. A man had been vaping a device containing a marijuana compound. The deceased person's symptoms reflect similar symptoms in nearly 200 cases across the country. Died in July. He died in July. No other information is publicly available. Governor Brown announced Friday she's chosen Misha Isaac, top lawyer in her office, somebody I've known for a long time, for a seat on the Oregon Court of Appeals. That makes him the third aide she is named to a judgeship along with former general counsel Ben Suede and former public safety advisor Heidi Moawad. Isaac will replace Judge Erica Hadlock, who is retiring. Portland officials will have struck a data sharing deal with Airbnb that'll make it easier for the city to crack down on Airbnb hosts without permits. In exchange for access to Airbnb's data, the city says it will simplify the permitting process so that it's not such a hassle for hosts. The city and Airbnb signed the new data sharing deal on August 30th, and starting this December, the company has agreed to provide regulators with data on its vacation rental listings on a monthly basis. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. You're listening to X-Ray. And you might be listening to KUIK. I'm Jeff. Well, Pop, you want to comment on any of those things? You want to comment on Nestle? You want to comment on Lake Oswego? I I, I want to comment on the vaping. I got got a, a thing from Jewel saying how much they were doing to try to keep kids from using their products Jewel has to be one of the best examples of corporate hypocrisy the world has ever known. These people are producing a product which they know has poison in it, which now as many as 200 people may have died from, and they are 
saying, oh, here's, they're advertising it, saying here's a great opportunity for a wonderful experience. And at the same time, they're saying, oh, but we don't want the kids to use it. They are just such hypocrites. There's some court news I just want to quickly mention. First court news is not court news, but I hope it does not become court news. I am so worried about Justice Ginsburg, just so worried. Because the cancer, the cancer that she has, hey, it's, it's, it's really nasty. But some court news, the new North Carolina Supreme Court has moved in where the federal Supreme Court did not dare to tread and has ruled that the legislative districts in North Carolina violate the North Carolina Constitution. So that can't be appealed. That can't be taken up because they're not interpreting the federal constitution. So there's going to have to be a redrawing of legislative districts in North Carolina. The fourth district circuit court, rather, the fourth circuit court has ruled that the survivors of the Mother Emanuel Church murders can sue the federal government for negligence in allowing the murderer to obtain guns because if they carried out their obligation, he would not have been able to buy the guns. An interesting question is going to, is, will it get to the Supreme Court? In 2016, there were some electors, I'm in Washington State next door, who did not vote for the candidate that got the most votes in their state. And state of Washington punished those electors, fined them a thousand bucks. The Washington Supreme Court said that it does have the, that states does have the power to punish electors who stray or even coerce electors. The Tenth Circuit has now ruled no they cannot, which probably means the Supreme Court is going to have to resolve that. That's a really interesting constitutional question. We got to get to local. We got to get to local now because we got a guest coming in soon. Okay. Well, I got a I got a segue to local through what's happening in the courts. Actually, two. Uh, Judge J. Burdett Pratt has ruled that Angela McNulty, who's the only woman on death row in Oregon, does get a new trial because they said she got bad advice by her lawyers. The DOJ is going to going to appeal that, and I think they should appeal that. And then, related to courts, also segue local, another success of DNA has happened when a guy named Dan McQuaid, who lives in Gresham, is now accused of committing a murder in 1978 in Alaska because of a D DNA match, which is no small thing and then purely local another example of what I've talked about before the need for the legislature to reenact a habitual criminal law where once upon a time we had a habitual criminal when somebody just was proved to be a habitual criminal you put him away for at least 30 years Thomas Hassan Kelly who has been convicted of 12 felonies and 11 misdemeanors has now been arrested for luring a woman to his apartment saying that he was a life coach and he would help her and he lured her there so he could rape her. 
if we had an habitual criminal act, that guy would be off the streets for at least 30 years, which hopefully would be the rest of his life. That just really does need to be looked at. Well, Dad, we have a new or at least formally announced candidate to become Oregon's next Secretary of State. Mark Hass had expressed interest in the job two weeks ago. He is now a declared candidate. And he was telling everybody privately that he was going to run more than two weeks ago. He says he's the best prepared candidate, citing his work in the legislature as well as his work as a television journalist. He hails from Washington County, has a reputation from uh, trying to work across party lines, and his email says experience is a good match for the job of Secretary of State which is meant to be fair and even-handed. Uh, all right, Pop, you have, Jay McLeod Skinner is the uh, candidate who ran in uh, the 4th Congressional District, 4th Congressional District, right? Uh, second. E- second. Thank you very much. Who's 4th? Is that... Uh, 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 all right, thanks. Oh, that's right, I just got, because I just got an email yesterday about <laughs> a candidate for the 4th Congressional District. Uh, who will all, who are also going to talk to, and we'll invite, we've had DeFazio on before, we'll invite him again, of course. Uh, but the uh, but anyway, Jamie McLeod Skinner was a Democratic nominee in the second congressional district in Eastern and Southern Oregon, uh, and did not win, but gained you know gained a, a pretty good following in that race. And there were thoughts that well maybe she'll run again. Uh, she is running again, but she's not running again for Congress in second congressional district. She is running for Secretary of State in the Democratic primary. By the way, do you understand how the numbers of congressional districts come to be? I don't. Well, I'm going to. I'm going to. Nice. This is so good. I'm so embarrassed. It is. It is historically how old they are, because when, when Oregon began, it had two congressional districts: one for everything east of the mountains, and one for everything west of the mountains. And as the population in Oregon grew, it didn't grow grow very fast east of the mountains, but it grew much faster west of the mountains. And so the first congressional district, then then became then the third congressional district came along when Portland and the actually Multnomah County became so populous that it should get one, so it became number three, and then number four when Southern Oregon came along and got enough population, they became number four, and then when the the area between the first, second, and fourth grew so that Salem and uh, Benton County and that area had a population that became the fifth. And the interesting thing is, where will the sixth be? But it will be geographically called the sixth because it is the newest. The Oregon Secretary of State uh, plays an important role in, uh, in drawing district lines. And therefore, there will be those who weigh in on the Secretary of State's race with that very much in mind. Barbara Roberts, uh, former governor of Oregon, told me one time that appointing Phil Kiesling to the Oregon, uh, the biggest Oregon mistake she ever was made. the biggest mistake she ever made as governor. And that's a sig- and, and when I said it later to her, she didn't ask me to keep it private. Didn't say, you know, didn't say, oh no, maybe there were others that that was the biggest mistake that he viewed his role as uh, as not to build power. For uh, for Democrats and progressives in Oregon, and she viewed that as that led to uh, districts that uh, benefited Republicans. Uh, 
she viewed that as a huge mistake. I, I am, so there'll be some people who see it on that vector. I will see another different vector, maybe overlapping, but at a different vector. And that'll be sort of pro-democracy, people who are more pro-democracy versus who are sort of democracy neutral. And in fact, even if talked to, there's another, there's another potential candidate uh, who is rumored who's doing a statewide tour, had, uh, had a meeting last night doing another one tonight, doing a statewide tour on campaign finance reform. It's Dan Rayfield, we've had on the program before from Corvallis, uh, the co-chair of Ways and Means. Uh, and he, uh, he has not an announced candidate, but a rumored candidate. Uh, a couple people have, have uh, joked a little bit that his statewide tour on campaign finance reform is a statewide tour on running for, uh, r- running, for the, uh, running for Secretary of State. But I will say, if somebody were to run for Secretary of State, the way I'd want him to do it is, I don't know, doing a thing like doing a statewide tour on campaign finance reform. Right? It's not, I, don't, I don't knock a politician for doing politics if they're trying to do politics for the benefit of democracy and the benefit of the people. Uh, it's Dad, do you have any early questions? So I'm going to be looking at questions, of course, like the, the districts, of course, like campaign finance. There'll be also questions. Mark Hass will probably run on audits, uh, which is how... And should talk about audits because that's a very, very significant duty for the Secretary of State. What are, what are key questions that you've got that, uh, uh, that you want to look at in the Secretary of State's race? And, we've got, and we, then we've got to bring our guest on. Wow. We'll talk about it more, but do you have, do you have anything yeah. in particular that you want to make sure that we're keeping in mind well, on the Secretary of State's race? Those are two, redistricting, which needs to be done within constitutional limits, but also should be done to try to encourage Oregon to follow a progressive and democratic and beneficial course for the population of Oregon, and the audit function is, is extremely important. All right, Dad. Any quick headline? Otherwise, we should say, by the way, or uh, Senator Ron Wyden from Oregon has announced his plan to introduce legislation to tax e-cigarettes. Uh, we talked about the first death linked to vaping. Portland also settled a lawsuit filed by a, a homeless man shot by police officers in 2017. Uh, Perkins had sought $1.3 million. The city settled the case for $60,000. Uh, and dad, any anything quick before uh, before we do a well, just some quickly, just to m- mention, artifacts discovered at Cooper's Ferry, is, uh, Idaho, but that's kind of local, suggest that there were folks here sixteen thousand years ago, which is making people think that maybe the idea that the Native Americans came over the Bering Strait when there was so much when the water was not there between what is now Russia and Alaska, that maybe they came by boat. The National Marine Fisheries is proposing to kill 900 California sea lions and 250 stellar sea lions to try to save the salmon that are being decimated by the sea lions. And I have to confess, environmentalists, you're not like me to say this, but I think that's a good idea because I prefer the fish. Undersea Gardens in Newport, after 50 years, is closing down. The last day is Sunday. So, folks, if you've never taken your kids to the Undersea Gardens, you've got three more days, and for the rest of the week, it's free. So just all you need is your gas to get to Newport to see. Gresham drivers have been raided after a seven-year study by the Insurify, an insurance company research outfit, Gresham drivers are the 13th worst in the United States based upon their 
their traffic records. The ballroom, the grand ballroom from an art museum has uh, collapsed, had damaged, and that has forced closure to the ballroom. Also another closure, Mamasan Soul Shack in St. John's is closing down. I ate there. It was good. In fact, I ate there, was it last weekend or the weekend before? Weekend before last. I was I was in out of town last weekend. Uh, but anyway, Dad, I, it's time for Straw in the Wind. Straw in the Wind. And I have three straws in the wind. Inflation, you never know where it's going to hit. Seattle's Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence has produced a robot or an AI that got 90% on an 8th grade science test and 80% on a 12th grade test. Four years ago, there was a competition and there was not a single outfit in America that could get better than 50%. That's a significant straw in the wind. The Paris Theater in New York, which was the last single screen theater in New York City, has closed, which is no small thing. And I thought I had three, but maybe I only had, nope, that's three. All right, Dad. Well, with that strong finish, we've wrapped. We did it one more time. Thank you very much to our listeners. Thank you very much to our sponsors. Thank you very much to you. Love you, Pop. Love you, too. And we will be back, in fact, on Monday. That was news of my dad. 